0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.breanshoreline.org. We continue on our 10 o'clock uh, schedule through uh, Labor Day weekend, and then after that we will be, go back to our 11 o'clock worship hour and our Sunday school hour and uh, peer group times, and of course, invite you uh, to come and share that time with us. Back in, uh, oh, the 1940s, before World War II, there was a very famous uh, boxer named Joe Lewis. And Joe Lewis, uh, of course, was uh, very dominating, uh, very few defeats, heavyweight champion in the world. And uh light heavyweight was going to fight him, Jimmy Kahn, and he is moving up uh, the heavyweight division. And they asked, well, how are you expect to fight Joe Lewis? And uh, his response was that he was going to hit and run. Hit and run. And they asked Joe Lewis, well, what are you going to do? How, what's your response? And his response was, he can run, but he can't hide. A very famous uh, statement from Joe Lewis. Of course, in a boxing ring, right, there's no place to hide. He can, he can run, but he can't hide. Interestingly enough... Uh, Billy Kahn, I said Billy Kahn, Billy Kahn uh, came very close to beating Joe Lewis. And uh, toward the end of the fight, he was actually ahead on the scorecards and decided he would just uh, fight a little more traditional fight. And of course, uh, that was over. He lost. And I thought that uh, phrase, and you've heard that before, he can run, but he can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. was an appropriate title for a study we're going to do for the first chapter today of the, of the book of Jonah. We're going to study together for the next four weeks, the book of Jonah and a minor prophet. And today, chapter one, and I think appropriately, uh, he could run, but he couldn't hide. I wish when we look at these um, books together, it would be nice if you'd never read it before. And this was the first time you'd ever read this historical account because the story of Jonah, quote, and the whale, right, is very well known. One of the most uh, well-known stories in the Bible. But I think there are many things we can learn from this, and uh, we will learn together. So as we begin this study, Jonah, the reluctant prophet. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open your word, we pray for uh, your wisdom and insight as we learn from the Scriptures. We are reminded, the Apostle Paul said, all Scripture is given by God. And it's for our profit, and for helping us to live lives pleasing to you. And so uh, we will take this to heart today as we look into this Old Testament minor prophet and guide our thinking and our thoughts. May your words be heard today in Christ's name. Amen. So Jonah chapter 1, and I want to give you a little bit of background of this. It's a minor prophet, and if you're looking for it, um, it's, it's one of the minor prophets, of course. And sometimes it's hard to find the minor prophets, but... Of course, these days with your phones and tablets, it's much easier, right? Just put in Jonah, and there it is. The Book of Jonah, chapter one, verse one: The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, "Go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me; its wickedness has come up before me." Now, a little bit of background. That might be helpful as we look at this. Um, Jonah, who of course is uh, here in Israel on the coast of Canaan there, the coast of Palestine, uh, he was a prophet in the north, in the ten tribes of the north. He was from the area of Galilee, same area that, uh, thank you Gary, that uh, Jesus was from, uh, lived his life, and he was a prophet during this time. The nation of Israel split in two, ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. And it's during this time frame that he is told to go to Nineveh, which is, whoops, sorry about that. Nineveh, we'll get that one in a minute, okay? Maybe not. Go ahead, help me out back there. There you go, okay? So Nineveh is way over here, up by the Tigris-Euphrates River. And Jonah is called to go from here and to travel to Nineveh to preach against it. Jonah, a prophet of Israel. Prophets were well known. They were public figures and uh they're they and they were given the off the job and the office of preaching and proclaiming. And oftentimes when we think of prophet, we I always think, well, some of you told the future. That's not primarily what they were. Primarily a prophet, the word prophet means forth teller. He spoke for God. And of course, that generally included telling the future and also telling them if they didn't repent and do what God asked of them there would be trouble and God wanted their hearts. And God came to Israel during this time of the Minor Prophets and says, you bring your offerings, you bring your sacrifices and they stink. Take them away. Bring your heart first. You're, you're oppressing the poor. You're taking advantage of people. You're shedding blood. You're doing things and then you come and just act like everything's fine. Gary talked to us last week about some of the background of the, of the, uh, of the, of the, of the worship of God and with the Ark of the Covenant and so forth. Bring your heart to me first. And it's in this context that he is called to go to Nineveh. What do we know about Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital of the empire of Assyria. Just to give you a little heads up, looking ahead in the Bible, this is the empire that eventually conquers, destroys, terrorizes, brutalizes the 10 tribes of Israel and disperse them. Hence, we talk about the 10 lost tribes, right? That were dispersed by the Assyrians. This happens in 722 B.C., before the time of Christ. The Assyrians, this, I just put this up here to show you, they, they, one of the things they did leave us was this tremendous artwork of these, we call reliefs. These are engraved in stone. And I'm showing you kind of a nice one in the sense that this is obviously a, a one of their military and their military prowess. What I'm not going to show you, but what they had were several reliefs like this that demonstrated their brutality. And this is Sunday morning, and we've had a nice time of worship and stuff, and I don't want to upset your stomach here today by going into detail about it. Just trust me. Uh, Some of the reliefs they showed of what they did to their enemies uh, was very, very sick and repulsive. They were known for this. This is what they were known for. This is the, uh, the reign of terror, if you will. And this was the Assy- this was the Assyrians, Nineveh became their capital, and these are the people that he is called to go to, um, the Assyrians. In um, we read we, we read in the Bible, actually there are some of the minor prophets who are given the task of prophesying against Assyria, and against Nineveh especially, and telling them what was going to happen uh, to them if they didn't change. And of course, eventually it did, as the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. Israel, and uh, during this time, the interesting thing is that, that Jonah is called during the time of Jeroboam II. And I just want you, if you take a moment to kind of get a little context here, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 14, and in 2 Kings chapter 14, we get a little insight into what's going on in Israel at this time. Jeroboam II is the king of the north, and this is during the time of Jonah. Jonah is mentioned in the Old Testament one time other than the book of Jonah. And it's during this context of Jeroboam II that we read this, in the 15th year, verse 23, in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, in the south, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, that is the 10 northern tribes. He reigned for 41 years. Longer than David, 40 years that David reigned. He reigned a long time. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which had caused Israel to commit. He was the one, but, you know, here's the interesting thing. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. A lot of evil. Yet, during his reign, look what God allowed to happen. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Label Hamath to the Sea of Araba, In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai. Jonah is the one who prophesied that he would do this. He would expand and recapture and expand their borders. He was the prophet from Gath Hefer in Galilee. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. And so what we find here is that during the time that Jonah is called to prophesy, and he prophesies on behalf of this king, that God is coming to our help. He is going to help restore us. And they did, they restored their borders. They expanded their military. They became stronger. And we know historically during this same time, Nineveh, which had loomed as their imminent threat, was sort of on the ropes, if you will. And they were struggling. And so it was during this time when Israel was, was getting stronger and Nineveh was getting weaker, this this nation that was known for their terror and brutality. It's in this context That God comes to Jonah, son of Amittai, and tells him, go to Nineveh and preach to them. Go to Nineveh and preach to them. So we go back to the book of Jonah. Go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God says, these people are wicked. They are brutal. They are are terrorizing. Their wickedness has come up. And I want you to go preach against them. And inherent as that is you go preach against them to repent. And we'll see, of course, later on. This is exactly what Jonah knows that God is doing. Go preach against this city. Evil has come up before me. So this is what we know during this time. And this is the context that we're going to read about the book of Jonah. Interestingly enough, of all the prophets in the Bible, Jonah is the only one who flatly refuses to do what he's told. His message is absolutely the shortest. It's one phrase. And he is the most successful of all the prophets. That's Jonah. It's an interesting, fascinating account, and much to be learned. So what happens to Jonah? Well, let's look at what he has here. Verse three, Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, I normally, when I'm when I'm preaching, and we, most of our teaching here, we preach and speak from the NIV, New International Version translation. There are several good translations that we use and that you use. One of the translations, of course, that we use for years, and I grew up with, was the King James translation. And one of the things I do like about the King James, in the Old Testament, it's very literal. And sometimes, when you're doing your own personal study and, and uh, even devotional reading, It's sometimes good to compare it because the King James is very literal. And there's a couple things missed here in the NIV that I want to point out to you that are just sort of nuances. The Lord said to Jonah, get up, rise up, and go to Nineveh. It says that in the Hebrew, rise up, go to Nineveh. And then it says, Jonah rose up and went to Joppa. You missed that nuance. Rise up and go, And he rose up and he left. Now, Jonah is, uh, this is our map again, and a little bit larger context here. Jonah, again, was called to go to Nineveh. He goes down the coast to Joppa. And from Joppa, he is going to Tarshish, which most Bible historians and Jewish historians in the Old Testament believe is somewhere near Spain. Yeah. Okay. So instead of going, rising up and going to Nineveh, he rises up and he is heading what? (laughs) I'm glad you think that's funny, but (laughs) there is a bit of humor in the book of Jonah. He is going to go what? He is going to go as far away as possible from the presence of the Lord. He's going to go as far away as possible. This was the end of the world. I mean, as far as they knew, this, this, you know, the apostle Paul said, I, I'm desiring to, I, when I, on my way to Spain, I will visit you. He wanted to go to Spain to take the gospel. It was like the end of the world in that sense of what they knew on the, to the west. He rises up and he goes, we believe, to Spain. Or tries to go to Spain. And incidentally, let me just give you also this little nuance from the Hebrew, that technically what it really says in the Hebrew is, he, he went down in verse three, he went down to Joppa, modern day, uh, Jaffa, Joppa, south of Tel Aviv, if you were to go there today, about 20 minutes or so. He went down there, and it says he found a ship bound for that port. What he actually, what it actually says in the Hebrew, he found a ship coming from Tarshish. The, the ship had just come from Tarshish. And the Jewish Publication Society Bible and their commentary suggests what it really maybe want to translate it is, he found the ship that came from Tarshish. So it had to be a large ship because that's a long way, right, to Spain. This is not a rowboat or a, you know a canoe. This is a long way. It's a big grain carrying ship probably. And it actually suggests they suggest in their commentary in the Jewish Publication Society Bible that he actually bought the boat, if you will. When it says he paid the fare, he hired the boat. And it's possible what happened is this ship comes from Tarshish and just by his luck he finds this ship from Tarshish and he hires it. And he pays for the boat and the sailors and he hires the boat to take me away back to Tarshish. That's possibly what it really says in the Hebrew. It's very interesting. And I want you to notice especially what it says finally in verse 3. The NIV says, to flee from the Lord. Uh, the King James translation, another nuance here, in some of the their translations, New King James and some others say, from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. And there may be a suggestion there that he may have received this call in the temple. He may have been down at Jerusalem, worshiping like the prophets did, even from the north. They knew where the one true God, their God, where the temple was. They had one in Samaria, but that's not, that wasn't the right one. He may have been in the actual temple of God, in the presence of God when he received this, this, this commission, in the presence of the Lord. And he went for Spain. Rise up and go. He rose up and he left. His call and his response. This, friends, why, why did he do this? You know, right away, a lot of people just sort of jumped to the conclusion. Well, of course, he was afraid to go to Nineveh. This this was not a win-win situation. To him, this was a lose-lose situa- proposition. If he went to Nineveh and they refused him, what that probably meant for him was unspeakable torture and death. But worse than that, if he went there, and they believed him. What did that mean? That meant this nation that was the enemy of his people had been on the verge of destroying his people brutally, which they will eventually. This nation that has all of a sudden weakened and his people God has blessed and he has prophesied about this and told them God would do this. His people, his people, they are strengthening. They have expanded their borders. They are feeling secure. And he is called to go and help save that city of Nineveh. One of the commentators on the Word Commentary Series says this, Jonah was well aware there were plenty of other prophets around. His day was golden, and a golden age for prophets. Is it not possible, he said to himself, God has determined to give Assyria a chance. But if so, at least one of the other prophets ought to mediate his word. For me, to do it goes against all I've stood for. If I withdraw from my people, exile exile myself in distant parts, surely God will appoint another prophet. Surely he'll prefer a willing prophet to me, and I won't have to see something I've worked against all my life come to pass." Send somebody else. I am fleeing and I, and I doubt, I mean, the prophets didn't have to be necessarily the best theologians. They were called to prophesy, but he had to know he, he was not going to get away from God, but he was going to get away from the call, the presence of God and the call to go to Nineveh. He was going to get away from that and God could find someone else to do that job and I'm leaving. And so he hires doesn't hire the boat, at least he hires himself on this boat. And here we go, off to Tarshish. That's interesting. Okay, now you can hear me? All right, okay, we'll make it work here. All right, A little special effects here for the storm, okay? All right. So he has, so he's on his way. He gets the boat and he's on his way to Spain. We all want to go to Spain, right? He's on his way to Spain. Then the Lord, and I want you to notice in the, again in the, in the literal, He hurled. It says, this is an active word. It says, God hurled. He threw a great storm. He threw a great wind on the sea. God, it, that's what it says. He hurled it. God steps in. I don't think He's gotten very far. And He hurls the storm. He throws the storm at the boat. And it was such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and they each cried out to their own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Now listen, these are seasoned sailors. They are used to storms. But this storm it is frightening. This is a big ship. And the ship is about... To break up. We were just recently on our trip back to Michigan, and we went up north across the Mackinac Bridge and Northernized, and then we went to one of the museums and talked about, you know, some of the shipwrecks on the on the Great Lakes. They're, ter- I mean, terrible. It's more dangerous than the open sea in places. These, you know, you've maybe heard the song, right, Edmund Fitzgerald? You know, and some of these ships that that broke up in in, in 15, 20 minutes and were gone because of these storms that come up on the Great Lakes that are just are are are, are deathly. And, and, he's, and he's, on this, he's on the Mediterranean Sea, and, and, and the, the ship's about to break up, and these sailors are panicking, and they're praying to their gods. These, these people, there are, there are no atheists in, in this old world, in the ancient world, as far as we know. I mean, they all had their own gods, and they were gods of this, and gods of that, and gods of fertility, and gods of the plants, and gods of the ocean, and gods of the clouds. They all worshiped. That's what Paul said when he came to Athens, right? And when I came here, I saw your many gods. I want to proclaim to you the one true God. And they all cried out to their God for help because there was something about this storm that was not normal. And they realized it and they're, and they're crying out and they're dumping things overboard to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below the deck where he lay down and the NIV gets it right here. He fell into a deep sleep. This would be similar to the sleep that came upon Abraham. Remember that story when Abraham and the sacrifice, and it says he went into a deep trance. And, and it's, it's the word here is not the normal sleep word in the Hebrew. So he went into this sort of a deep trance. Whether it was, whether it was, you know, some have suggested you know, the, the depression that he was going through of having to reject this call, that maybe just the depression he was going through just overtook and put him in this deep, deep sleep. Or maybe God put it on him. But you do want to catch this nuance. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat. And you know how it ends. He goes down into the ocean. <laughs> this is a downward spiral for sure. But he's down there sleeping. And, the, and they come to him. And they, and they said to him, the captain says to him, Oh sleeper, and the King James says, is right. O sleeper, what are you, what are you doing? How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe He will take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to one on there, come, let us cast lots to find out who was responsible for this calamity. They knew there was something about this storm that was so different that someone had done something and that God was angry with them. And they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And so they pepper him with these questions. Uh, and and, and they says, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? Or what do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He won the lottery, right? I mean, they cast lots and Jonah wins. And they, and they say, okay, it's you. And they believe it. What's going on? What have you done? Where are you going? Who's your God? What's happening? Who are your people? And Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I am a Hebrew. This would be a way to identify him as a Jew to the, to the foreign nations. I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord The God of heaven. And I want you to notice how he describes him. And notice the order, how he puts this. What? I worship the God, the God of heaven. He is the God who what? He makes the what? He's the God of the sea and the land. He puts the sea first. And this, of course, sparked them. The God of the sea. Obviously, you've done something to this God. If he's the God of the sea and the God of the land. And terrified them. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. We don't know where in the story he told them so. If it's when he hired the boat or what, but all of a sudden it starts to come together to them because he had told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, now we're reading this on a nice, calm, quiet, cool day. We got visitors from Arizona here today and they're just loving this weather, right? You're all thinking it'd be nice to be 80 degrees, you know. This is comfortable here, We know, the boat's not rocking, the lights quit going off and on, everything's. But come on, put yourself in this. This isn't the, this storm is still going. They think they're gonna die. Seasoned sailors. They've thrown everything overboard. They are down to their last chance. I can't think of really, I mean, I'm not a seafaring person, but I can't think of anything more frightening than being out in the open sea in a horrible storm about to sink and the boat to go off from underneath you and break up. And they have this conversation with him. And and, and and they're terrified. And they say, and, and the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so finally in verse 11, they ask him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And you notice what he doesn't say? What he doesn't say is, all right, take me back. It's my fault. Take me back. I will go to Nineveh. You will be okay. He doesn't say that. What he says instead is he's willing to give up his life for them, but he is not going to Nineveh. And he says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. It will become calm. How does he know that? How does he know that? that God will do that. He's a prophet of God. He says, pick me up, throw me in the sea, and it's my fault, and God will spare you, and the sea will calm down. Just do this. It's my fault, but I'm not going to Nineveh. Instead, they didn't do it. There's something about this God. They are now really frightened. We don't want to offend this God. If this is His prophet and His man, we're not about to throw this man into the sea. And so instead, this says they, they dug the oars deeper in the Hebrew. They dug the oars deeper. And they did their best to row back to land. And they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. Friends, this is getting worse. They are on the brink. They are on the edge. They are at, the, they are at their last straw, literally. And they cried out to the Lord. And you notice, as Gary talked to us last week, about the names of God. L-O-R-D capitals. Anytime you see it in all capital letters, that's the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, however they pronounced it. That was God's personal name. And they used this name. Notice these sailors, they used this name. And they cried out to Yahweh, and they said, oh Yahweh, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, because if they throw him in the water, there is absolutely no chance he will survive. Oh Lord have done as you pleased. And they took up Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Just like when Jesus walked in the water, right? And, and, and he calmed the sea. Can you imagine? These, these these people are religious. They believe in the gods. And they have seen this miracle of this storm that is, that is going to just destroy everything around them. And it's done. Because they threw him in the water, as he said, and it happened. And it was just as calm and quiet as it is here right now. And it made an impression on these sailors. This this storm that God hurled at them became their provision for salvation, if you will, if they stuck to it. Notice what it says. Afterward. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. That is not said lightly in the Bible. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to Him. This sort of, to me, indicates they went back to land. Because they could have sacrificed in the boat, but they've thrown everything overboard. I don't know what's left to sacrifice. They go back to shore. This is public, friends. This is a prophet of Israel. Israel. These men have seen a miracle that no one would ever see. And they, I'm sure, go back and publicize this. And they go back, maybe to the temple, and they take vows to God. Maybe they converted, became proselytes. They offered sacrifices. They made vows to God. Now, whether they kept it, whether it was life-changing, we don't know. But that is never said lightly about anybody in the Bible. And as a storm became their source, if you will of their hope that God has sent to them. And you know what happens. We're going to stop here today. I'm going to do one chapter a week. Okay? And uh, I think you know what happens. And I know some of you are visiting Dave. you can't be here, you can always check out online. And, and uh, if you're not sure what happens, we'll finish the story for you. But look what it says. The Lord, but the Lord provided, He sent a great fish, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now I'm sure you've heard before that it's just natural. I mean, it makes great pictures and so on. Jonah and the whale. and You've probably seen the pictures maybe of Jonah being thrown in the sea and the whale waiting there with his mouth open, you know, <laughs> to swallow Jonah. Whales are not common in the Mediterranean. Whales have very small throats. And it does not say whale. And It it, it uses a word that it has to do more in Hebrew with a very large sea monster fish. In the Mediterranean, there are sharks and dog sharks that are very large and can swallow because they have big throats. They can swallow a man. God didn't even have to create a new fish for this. They could do that. The miracle, the miracle is not... That he was swallowed by a large fish. is possible. The miracle is what? That he stayed alive for three days in the fish. That's the miracle. Jonah and the great fish. Probably wouldn't go over so well if we said Jonah and the dog shark. But it may have been that. I was thinking of Rick Landeth. We went fishing one time, Rick, and we were out there fishing for salmon. These guys were so mad. They kept catching dogfish. They were just beating on a member and they weren't supposed to do that because they kept catching dog shark, dogfish. The end of the story for today. So what do we learn from this? All right, where do you go home with this today? What do you take home with you from this? Jonah goes down, 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 a downward spiral. spiral. I am sure, I am absolutely sure from the sailor's perspective Jonah is dead, right? I mean, they watched him go into this storm. They watched him disappear. Jonah is dead. There was no other possible scenario from a human standpoint as they went back to shore, the sea calmed, and they went back and made their vows to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Well, want do take home with you today? Well, let's talk about this for a minute. Can you help me back there if I'm having trouble? Can you give me the next slide? We got it there? Are we off? Is our camera gone? Oh, is it behind? Oh, sorry. Well, come on, talk to me. I'm, you know, I'm standing there looking at the screen back there. And now what did I do? I did all of them now. Okay. All right. Now we have to go back because you didn't help me. All right. Here we go. Lessons from Jonah, chapter one. Lesson one, God's ways are not always our ways. Is that true? God's ways are not, is anybody here dealing with that right now? You wouldn't do it this way. If it was up to you, I wouldn't do it that way. God's ways are not always our ways. And I mean, nothing in this story from a human perspective really makes much sense. Listen, Jews reading this later on in the Bible, they know what happened. You know what happened, that Nineveh is spared, but they are destroyed eventually by the Babylonians. Why do this now? These people that are going to destroy Israel, why why do this? It doesn't make sense. Why would God send me? to Nineveh, to do this. And God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not always our ways. And we, and we just have to accept that, that, that God has a plan. Secondly, this is a reminder. This lesson is a reminder that God is the God of all the world, all nations, and He always has been. He is not exclusively the God of Israel. He is not exclusively today the God of the Christian church. He is the God of the entire world of all nations. And and we know from the Bible, his compassion in his heart. The Apostle Paul said that his will is that all people would be saved and and come to him. Paul wept for his own people and said, I would give my own salvation if my fellow Jews would, would come. God is the God of all people, all nations, all history, and we must, we must have a, this big understanding of this, this is our Father's world. He is the God of all nations and all people. And God provides grace and mercy. He threw the storm at the sailors and it became their source of salvation. And He threw the storm and He provided and He threw the fish to Jonah and it becomes His source of hope and salvation. What we take home with this. God's ways are not our ways. Will you accept this? Will you have faith in God? You know, uh, this, as we close, Romans chapter 11, that section Romans 9 through 11, that is that is so powerful a passage on, on God's sovereign will. And, and we come to the end of it and Paul breaks out, the Apostle Paul in chapter 11 and verse 13, he just, he breaks out in this doxology when he talks about God's plan and God's mercy and what God is doing. All oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him for him? Through him, to him, are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This is the same book. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Will we accept God's plan and see his grace and mercy unfold? Secondly, I want to challenge our hearts today, beginning with me. Who are we willing to pray for? Who are we willing to go to with the message of the grace of God and the mercy of God? He is the God of all peoples. Would you have gone to Nineveh? Would you go to the nation that's about to destroy and brutalize your people and help them be saved? Who is the person in your mind who is the least likely to ever respond to God's love, grace, and mercy in your world, in your context? In the bigger context, who are the people, the nations of the world that we least expect to see a major revival and an outpouring of response to God's love and mercy? Friends, we we need to think big. Who are we willing to pray for? Who are we willing to go to? Who are we willing to share God's love? And then finally, God's grace and mercy. Have you received God's grace and mercy? He provided a way for the sailors that they would have never have had if they had not encountered Jonah. He provided a way for Jonah to become a, a story of his love and mercy and grace. And he's provided salvation and love and mercy for you. Our message as Christians that Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary, and we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. There's a deep, deep connection between Jonah and Christ. Probably the deepest of the Old Testament connections is Jonah and Christ. And you probably know what I'm talking about. He went to the cross of Calvary and he paid for my sin that I might be forgiven and have eternal life. And it's for the entire world. It's for everybody. Have you received God's mercy and grace? And are you aware as Christian people If you know Christ as Savior, are you daily aware of God's wonderful mercy and grace in your lives? Let's close our service, our final song, Gary. Thank you for leading worship today. And let's lift our voices and praise a wonderful, wonderful God who loves us, who died for us, and offers us hope and salvation. Thank you for coming and sharing our service today. And again, I want to just offer, Kevin, you got a couple minutes? You can stay anybody wants to come down today, if you have a prayer request, something that's on your heart, you'd just like to pray to the pastor, Pastor Kevin, there's a prayer room right back here, we'd be glad to just spend a few minutes with you. If you would like to come and know more about Christ the Savior, if you're still not sure what I'm talking about, that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, rose from the dead, paid for your sins, and you can receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life through simple faith and respond in faith to His grace and mercy. If you'd like to come down and talk, pray with somebody, please come anytime and come and and pray with us. God bless you. Thank you for coming today and join us again if you can next Sunday. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and grace and mercy. We thank you that you are God of all the world. You do have the whole world in your hands and, and what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to know that we can trust you and you have our lives, each of us in your hands you know how to take care of what belongs to you. And so we pray as we leave this place today that you would use us to be a testimony and a living example of your grace, mercy, and love as we share that wonderful news with all those we meet this week. We thank you. We love you. We are blessed to be called by your name. And I thank you for each person on this Sunday, Lord, that they could be anywhere else, that they've taken time to come and to share with us in worship today. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can say, Amen. Amen. If you have a prayer request, come down today and share with Pastor Kevin. Thank you.